Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie, and today I am joined by Adib Nasli. Thank you so much for joining. You are the CEO and co-founder of Zindi. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on today. I actually got to meet some of your team when I was at the EV World Congress event in San Diego and learn a bit about your offerings. So I'm excited to dive into more of the details today about especially how you fit into the EV space. But I know that you dabble a little bit kind of everywhere when it not everywhere, but in a lot of different ways when we're talking about going with more renewable resources and kind of electrifying our world as we know it. So thank you again for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Francie. Great to be here with you. Yes. So what I'd love to talk about today is when we're thinking about moving towards a completely new way of how we're powering our world, how we get around, how we power our buildings, how we're taking energy resources from our natural environment there's a lot of changes to be made. And that means that there's a lot of decisions to be made and it's a completely new technology. So there, in terms of a learning curve, it's pretty huge. So I, Zindi has an interesting offering where you really help decision makers along the way so that we can kind of catalyze this movement, if I am understanding that correctly. Is that what you would say is a major offering from Zindi? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we exist to take the pain out of what you just said, the selling, designing, and operating these complex uh, energy systems. Uh, so that's, Great. We, we saw that complexity and we felt that that was a uh, interesting challenge to solve. Yes, and from what I know, you were founded in 2018. Uh, mm -hmm. Zindi is an end-to-end -end software platform. And like you said, it you work to provide solutions in the energy transition from those renewable energies to an electric-driven world that powers our, our whole day, our lives. And you focus on distributed energy resources, renewable energy resources, and EV charging. And yep. like we said, that, so can you tell me a little bit more about your, your, what your work revolves around? So those are kind of different moving parts, but why are those so important in the work that you do? So when we looked at Kind of, uh, kind of what the future was going to look like and what the opportunity and the challenges were. We, in 2018, when we were looking at starting the company, we saw three uh, fast-growing, what we felt would be fast-growing trends. One was electrification and transportation. The other one was the transition to net zero emissions and then resilience. So personally, myself, I felt the ship sailed in 2013 for electrification and transportation. Mm. And I knew that if it was going to happen at scale with adoption, the infrastructure that was there and is there even currently just wasn't designed to deliver that level of energy intensity into a single geographic location or an address, just because of the amount of energy that's required to charge 
um, transportation that's been electrified. So we saw that as a really compelling challenge uh, to solve. The other one was net zero emissions and trans transitioning towards that. There was a lot of, uh, I would say, greenwashing conversations at the time. And we felt that at some point, policy would come in and Wall Street and shareholders would demand it and the boards and the CEOs would actually have to respond. But they would have to do this transition to net zero while still maintaining profitability mm -hmm. and running a business that is generating and growing. So to us, that meant more complex analysis, a lot of trade-offs, balancing, a lot of complexity of what ifs that didn't exist at the time. And we felt mm -hmm. that, you know, the business case has to be there as well. And right. then the resiliency, living in California, you know, we were getting power safety shutoffs every time there's a fire and there was a lot of fires. Uh, we felt that resilience uh, was going to be an important component. And those three together uh, played really well into the knowledge and the wheelhouse of the founding members, which was all around distributed energy and microgrids. So that's, very uh, cool. Yeah. So the because I, I was looking into Zindi and your founding team and some come from really research heavy backgrounds and then also the business backgrounds. And when those two come together, you can really find the solutions to take what we know, take uh, the research that we've done and then enact those into really actionable solutions like you're talking about here. So also something um that you mentioned in a, in a video was that the challenges of today's cannot rely on the solutions of yesterday. So how is Zindi offering solutions that address today's issues better than previous technologies, products, and services? And what are those issues? So uh, the issues are uh, around infrastructure, uh, around how pe people behave, or at least uh, been trained to behave. So when I have a car and I want to go pump gas, uh, there's a price. Whether I pump in at 9 a.m. or at 5 p.m. or at midnight, the price is the price. But with um, electricity, the utilities have introduced these time of use rates, demand charges, things fluctuate. But that's somewhat disconnected from how we have kind of been used to operating. So there's a, there's a behavioral challenge and then there's an infrastructure challenge. Mm -hmm. So from the infrastructure side, as I mentioned, it's just a lot of energy that all of a sudden has to show up and the grid just hasn't been designed for that. And then you got the reliability issues around power safety shutoffs and uh, power outages. And then you have the cost component. And with the cost component, there's two levels on it, right? One is on the end user side. As I consume the energy, what does it look like to me? And then also uh, from, the, from the project developer and operator side as well. But this means there's got to be a sophisticated approach. And the reason I uh, kind of highlight the sophistication is whenever there's complexity in a system, for instance, um, when you look at um, the complexity of all the technologies that have to come in, it's not just solar batteries, but you might need fuel cells, you might need uh, generators, all sorts of things, EV chargers. Those complexities, Francie, inherently create doubt and fear if I have to spend money and put money at risk behind it. Mm -hmm. So when you have a sophisticated approach that is based on science, that is how you deliver confidence. And with confidence comes the ability to then for folks to really explore the business opportunity. So we bring confidence through sophistication, speed, and better accuracy than anything out there. And those are the kind of uh, quantities that are needed in order to get over that fear factor for whether it's institutional investor or actual technology providers that want to sell these systems. But they're not just selling one piece of equipment anymore. They're selling a solution. And that inherently creates a complexity. But the solution is what's needed to address uh, EV charging infrastructure, which then drives adoption. It's really what we need to be able to drive towards a clean uh, energy uh, world because Fundamentally, it has to be cheaper, cleaner, better, and easier. And those are the areas that we focused on, and our software has really been designed bringing that research PhD level uh, sophistication into the hands of the average um, 
end user to be able to really appreciate these uh, systems. And the other thing I always tell, uh, tell folks, Francie, is, um, you know, when I go buy, if I want to go get ice cream, I, I ask for a sample. You know, I'm not going to commit to a flavor without first taking a sample, right? Uh, with these uh, distributed energy systems and EV charging infrastructure coupled all together, I mean, you can't take it for a test drive, right? It's not like a car. You can just kick the tires, get in and go take it for a drive. Mm-hmm. You got to trust the person suggesting it, that this is all going to work out. And we felt that, you know, coming back to that behavior where I said, you know, when I pump gas, it's got to be a certain price no matter what time of day. And microgrids bring that price stability into EV charging infrastructure. But also uh, with the software, we felt that trialability was going to be important. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean, okay, we we can't physically build the system, obviously, uh, for you to try out before you buy it. But we can virtually create the trial, give you a virtual test drive of the system, show you how it's going to operate over its lifetime and what benefits it's going to deliver to you compared to if you did things business as usual. Mm-hmm. So solving today's problems with those challenges. And then as the future evolves, you know, we've implemented even small modular nuclear reactors into the platform. Not that any of them are going to be out next year, mm. but it's built to be uh, future proof to address the needs of not just today, but tomorrow and the future as well. Hmm. Okay. So I'd, I'd love to kind of really add some color to the products that you're offering and understand also your, you know, your target audience, your target market. So from, and I, I'm, I don't think I have the whole picture because, and so I'd love for you to help me fill it in. But so if we could walk me through a customer journey as if maybe I'm a site host and I'm interested in putting in EV charging or a microgrid, I mean, would, how would, how would I start with Zindi? How would Zindi help me get there? So with a site owner, um, my guess is you will be working with uh, an OEM, somebody who's got stuff to sell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they'll have the battery, the solar, the generator. So sure. you would be asking them, hey, um, I'm looking at a solution to address my customer's EV charging needs my building and I want to reduce my carbon footprint and have resilience. And I'd like to make money at the end of the day. Yes. So you can either come into the platform yourself and kind of build out your own system vendor neutral. So you haven't picked like, you know, whose stuff you're going to use or buy Mm. uh, to get it kind of arm yourself so that when that salesperson inherently is going to try to sell you a system, right. you have a way to make sure that you're getting what you truly need, not what they think you should have. Mm-hmm. So there's that's one approach that you could come in and it's all very uh, much like a video game interface where, you know, you got these 3D buildings and 3D equipment, they're isometric, you can put them on the map kind of over your building or wherever your property is. And you tell the system to design it for you. So basically put that engineer in the computer and it designs it for you. And then we also put that MBA in the computer. So it gives you the financial outcome, the business case, mm-hmm. all those business metrics that at the end of the day, you know, you're going to rely on to make sure that you get those uh, profits and benefits that you want on top of everything else. The other approach is you say you want a system and then you go to some vendors and those vendors are going to come back with solutions for you. So then the vendor would be the user. And they would then come and essentially propose a solution for you. Mm-hmm. And then once you say, yeah, this looks really cool, then they can do a more detailed design for you, get into some of the nuances, some of the grants that might be available, some uh, incentives that you could take advantage of, maybe some ancillary services, basically give you more opportunities to drive profitability and emission reduction at the same mm-hmm. time. And, and then once they build the system, then that same kind of MBA PhD that the algorithm that generated it and said, this is what you need. And these are the benefits that same brain goes into the real time environment as part of your energy management system and is constantly making sure all those promises that it made in design uh, when, okay. when they propose it to you are actually being delivered to you. So right. it comes up with the opera, how these systems should all orchestrate together 
to achieve the outcome that um, Francie wanted, you know? Right. So. Okay. So it not only can prep me so that I'm ready, you know, I can make the most informed decisions with the, like the hardware, the placement, um, based on, you know, what electricity I have available to me at my, you know, wherever I am, whoever I am, but also, so yeah, after I go through with it and maybe the construction happens, does Zindi help me make sure that I'm getting what basically was yep. projected? Yep, exactly. It's, it's a, we, it's a, we call it a model predictive controller. And essentially, it embeds itself into the energy management system, and it's predicting every five minutes what the next 48 hours are going to look like. And every five minutes, it comes up with a new operational strategy because the reality is dynamic, right? Sometimes people show up, people don't show up. The weather is bad, sun shines, sun doesn't shine. So you need an adaptive system that mm -hmm. can be flexible with the dynamics of a real-time environment. And that's really hard because typically – you know, people come in and say, you know, here's your system and they put a few rules in and then you just live by those rules. Mm -hmm. But those rules aren't going to be adaptive. You know, they're very brittle, actually. So if something changes, that rule may no longer apply or you have to call them. They got to come back and put a new rule but with a model predictive control technology that we have. Uh, it's adaptive. And every couple of minutes it comes back based on what it's predicting and tells the system, this is what you should be doing to achieve, you know, the, the profits we promised Francie or mm -hmm. the profits and the emission reductions, or we need to be ready for resilience because the weather's hot, there might be fire, mm -hmm. keep everything, you know, at a certain tempo so that we can disconnect, protect ourselves, continue running operations as usual, have the cars charged as usual. Uh, and if the grid needs help, we be prepared to help it if we can. Right. That that grid part is something that really interests me about this industry is and what a lot of naysaying is, you know, rightfully so in a lot of ways is that the grid is going to experience a different kind of pressure from going electric from whether it's electric cars. Well, I think that's mostly like the biggest pull. But I did see, um, you know, how you've spoken to basically how you are trying to prepare the grid for increased demand and that this is a growth area in your in your uh, organization. So can you speak to that a little bit about the work that you're doing there, specifically grid focus, because I know that you can help me make a little micro grid, but when we're thinking bigger picture, how does Zindi come into play? Yeah. So transportation, getting our fat massive load onto the grid. Mm -hmm. What we think is important is uh, to help the utilities manage this load growth. So, by putting technologies such as microgrid into the play, it helps uh, that load growth occur for the mm -hmm. utility, but in a managed way, where all of a sudden massive load isn't just showing up, the load can grow over time without uh, the infrastructure getting uh, stressed out, essentially. So there's uh, a, a few benefits that uh, we, we focused on. One is really helping manage the load growth so it grows and it grows in a way that is um, manageable from the utility perspective and is delivering the benefits to not only the end user but society so at the end of the day as well. The second is the resilience component that comes in. So when you have like one big you know, <laughs> distribution system, it's a pretty big target. But if you have the ability to distribute uh, your ability to generate and give uh, your customers the ability to be able to isolate themselves in the event something happens. Now you have inherently, um, from a from a uh, uh, energy security perspective, um, created a landscape that's much more difficult to target because now instead of one big target, you have potentially millions of targets that you got to hit. Mm -hmm. Number two, you've given the, uh, your customers the ability to protect themselves by disconnecting and operating. And you've also provided multiple points with which support can come through. So if there is help needed, there's multiple node locations that then power can be delivered into to support the larger grid. But for the transportation sector, for the fleets to be able to transition to um, an electrified uh, vehicle uh, portfolio, the infrastructure if we rely on the traditional infrastructure, it will take many, many decades. 
<laughs> and, and, and a lot of money. But if we're able to uh, deploy microgrids, uh, we not only increase the probability and the opportunities for uh, profits and revenues, but also we significantly accelerate the ability to deploy infrastructure in a very reliable fashion that delivers the uh, infrastructure that electrification, transportation, and fleets need, while at the same time providing multiple value streams or shock absorbers so that this whole utilization issue uh, doesn't become as critical as some people are dealing with right now, which is, you know, you put the chargers out there and what if nobody uses them? You know, you got stranded assets and, and there's incentives out there that provide you with upfront, you know, some benefits when you're purchasing these things. But the, the whole infrastructure play is an OPEX play. It's not a CAPEX play. It's right. the operating expenses over the lifetime that are going to make or break you. Yes. And the way you bring those under control and the way you manage them to your benefit uh, so that you can actually have a really sound business case is through on-site energy systems or microgrids because they open up a whole world of opportunities and that utilization of that charger is just one piece of that big pie. Definitely. So when we're thinking about um, that, is is it with the, with the microgrids, of course, you can have the battery energy storage solutions on site that help to capture that power, especially if you're using renewable energies. But also, so are we talking about vehicle or not vehicle to grid, but microgrid to grid um, where you are? Or is it more about I'm making the microgrid here so I can have resilience in this one spot and then that can help, you know, take pressure off the grid? Or is there any putting it back onto the larger grid that Zindi plays in? It's putting it back onto the grid too. Okay. So there's there's a few things that the microgrid enables. One is you almost have like a, let's compare like sailing versus like a motorboat, right? When you're sailing, you got to go with the wind, tack, jive, whatever to get to point A or B. And sometimes you got to go around a lot of different things to make it. If you have a motorboat, you can just drive in whatever shape you want. And a microgrid is almost like a motorboat. Because the utility will, can come and say, I need you to look like this to my circuit. And now you have the ability to shape how you are viewed from an energy perspective as a load on the grid. And that just doesn't exist without on-site energy systems that can do that. There's ways that you can load shed. You know, people can do um, uh, reduce loads and so forth. But if you don't want to have a behavioral change... You need things to run as they do. You need the temperature to be what it is. You need the chargers to work when they work, but you need to look a certain way to the grid. That's where the microgrid comes in. And then you can then also sell power back and provide ancillary services. So you could provide not just the sale of energy back, but you could do a demand response where you, you are um, uh, looking very different to the grid based on the signals that they send you. But also, uh, when it comes to uh, how you can support the utility with a microgrid is when, when it needs help, you can actually shuffle that energy back into the grid uh, uh, at any time and at any point as, as the grid needs it. Because you're essentially a small utility power plant right mm -hmm. next to where the power is consumed, and you can just send it back into the grid if they need it and provide that support. So it just opens up a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. that inherently does not exist in the traditional approach to how energy is generated and distributed. Right. And I know when I've, when I first really started learning about microgrids, it was in other countries and really like small villages and how they can make their microgrid. But what can you tell me about the adoption of microgrids? I mean, you're based in California, right? But in North America in general, how is that looking? How's the movement towards building microgrids, whether it's from, you know, your small micro, micro residential home or more, you know, corporate, uh, larger property owner scenarios? So the way um, at least we've observed this market evolve is on one end, kind of to the example you gave, we've seen mini grids mm -hmm. uh, where it's small, uh, 
building loads. It could be like a home, a residential, but it's small. So mm -hmm. they're sometimes called mini grids. And then the other side, we've seen the Department of Defense really adopt microgrids. Um, so very sophisticated systems, but you know, there's assets out in the middle of nowhere or assets in a place where you can't rely on the local government to give you the energy that you need when you need it. So uh, there's a flexibility that the Army and uh, some of the other uh, defense uh, department organizations need that microgrids enabled inherently. And one of them also is just flexibility in how you generate energy because getting diesel uh, shipped into the middle of a war zone is very, very, not just dangerous, but expensive. But if you have solar, you have wind, you have all sorts of other ways that you can create and use energy, then that delivers a level of uh, operational flexibility that normally you would not have. So we've seen kind of the two ends where on the consumer side, it's been more mini grids. And these are typically uh, solar battery generator uh, with charger type solutions. And then on the other side, we've seen... Uh, I mean, just uh, the, the the military with uh, large, complex, uh, very sophisticated systems. Mm. And then in between has been the commercial space. And the commercial space has been really now um, engaged because of the EV charging infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, and, and the limitations that they're facing with the grid and what the business plan and commitments require from a timeline perspective. So the solution is the microgrid. And that is, so EV charging has been pulling the CNI space uh, microgrid opportunity with the military doing some really sophisticated, complex work. And then on the other end of it with uh, the mini grids, with uh, folks getting solar battery systems for their home or solar battery with backup generators or solar battery backup generators with uh, home chargers as well. And then there's the opportunity for thermal too with heat pumps, uh, with uh, uh, water heaters and so forth that you can bring um, even the thermal component into the microgrid as well and really give, whether it's the mini grid, the residential customer, a really compelling energy system that gives them the uh, financial incentives, but also the resiliency and then the minimal uh, minimization of carbon footprint. And then on the other end, you have very sophisticated, complicated systems that are mission critical, that are delivering uh, more around resiliency and energy surety. Very interesting. Yeah, it'll be cool to see if this is, you know, really a solution to how we're going to be able to meet what the grid needs, uh, how many micro, mini, more macro, mini grids are going to be out there and developing. And also, I mean, it's, if you have it on your home, it's kind of lucky, you know, you're able to afford that kind of uh, yeah. investment into your mini grid, but also what more incentives will come that way. But also the large scale, I hadn't really thought about uh, that, but of course it makes sense that if you're remote and you have very essential operations going on, you need that energy and it's not just going to come to you. Like you said, it could be really expensive to get the traditional ways out there. Yeah. And if you're talking about wiring too, I mean, just thinking about more and more remote places. Yeah. And in a lot of remote places, it doesn't make sense to, you know, generate power and then put like, you know, hundreds of miles of lines and then bring it to, it just, the costs are so prohibitive. And at the same time, you're creating vulnerabilities mm -hmm. because at any point during that, from where it's being generated to where it's being consumed, you know, mm -hmm. something can happen. So the closer you can put the generation to the consumption, not only are you improving uh, uh, the efficiency of the system because you don't have to have uh, energy go all these long distances, but also you're minimizing uh, the points at which something can be interrupted. Mm -hmm. So uh, for, for those applications, definitely. But even in an in environment where the distribution network is pretty well established, like um, in the United States, there's opportunities for campus microgrids, uh, mm -hmm. large community microgrids, where um, they're providing 
the resiliency, the cost benefits, and the emission reductions while enabling that charging infrastructure. I mean, people think of, okay, I got one, one car, let's say just like one Tesla Model 3 or Model S or whatever that you want to you consider, you know, requires more energy than five or six, you know, decent-sized homes. Mm-hmm. So the grid was built for the house, not for the house with another five houses thrown on top of it. Right. And that's just one car. You know, I drive up and down the streets and people don't have one car. Families don't have just one car. They have maybe two cars. Mm-hmm. Some have three. I mean, uh, and imagine like you you have a, a car and, you know, your, your partner or uh, spouse has another car and you got to charge them. Now you have, and these battery packs are getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So it's not like things are getting smaller either. So now you have your standard house stuff that's got to run. And then you have your car and then you have the second car. And if both are electric, that's a lot of energy that all of a sudden has to show up into this home or into this office or whatever you want to call the location. And that's just cars. When we talk about trucks, you know, we're talking about these class eight or class five, class six, whatever class you want to consider. These are massive energy loads. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one of them. You know, you have 10 of these, you have 15 of these. You're looking at Empire State Building level of energy that has to just show up into a very, very small address. And the grid just wasn't built for that. It could be built for that, but that will take like, you know, so much time, so much time, so much money. While it could be solved and open up a whole set of value streams by putting the energy generation and storage closer to where that load is going to be and then making that infrastructure also available to help the grid as well. So that is when you're talking about like putting the energy where it's going to be used, that is that distributed energy resources, the DER. Exactly. Exactly. Right. The small scale energy resources usually situated near sites of electricity use. Yeah. So that makes sense. And when, you know, a lot in the EV space, we talk about fast charging. And so that's when you show up, you get a a lot of energy in a short period of time. But when you have more of these microgrids, this seems like it would be, um, I mean, it's hard to charge an EV with a solar panel. It would take a a long time. (laughs) You need a lot of real estate to to put up enough panels to make it. And then what do you do at night? And then what do you do at night? Exactly. So that's where the yeah. battery energy storage solutions come in, right? Where you can extract that renewable energy resource and and store it. But that is key to providing the service, is it not, of the microgrid and being able to charge your, your EV? It, it, depends on the, it depends on the use case and the location. I mean, solar panels don't work in some parts of the country. I mean, there's just not enough sunlight. There's And batteries, you can only make them so big. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you can't. You, it, having a house-sized battery, you know, it's just not financially feasible. Right. So you need a diversity of technologies. So that's why in our platform we have like over 25 technologies because solar might not work in one place, but batteries and let's say uh, uh, a generator, fuel cell, or mm-hmm. CHP system might. So that level of flexibility is really needed if you want to deploy solutions for not only specific use cases like EV charging, but where in the country are you going to do it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can put all the solar panels you want up in Seattle, but I can tell you in November, October, you know, not. you're not going to be generating a whole lot. Exactly. And, you know, you can have massive batteries, but then you won't make your money back, right? Because mm-hmm. the batteries cost so much mm-hmm. uh, that, so you need to have a diversity. You need to have flexibility in what technologies and how you're going to interact with a grid, um, so that the uh, so that you know you're not you, you're you're benefiting from the grid at the same time you're not doing something that harms it or could potentially uh, create an uh, an unexpected strain on it, mm-hmm. while at the same time you know providing a real solid business case to the folks that are um, looking at whether it's charging infrastructure or whether it's um, commercial buildings, uh, factories, real estate, whatever real estate opportunity mm-hmm. there is. So that diversity is going to be really, really important where you have not just a solar and a battery system, but you have systems that can consider other sorts of generation, other sorts of 
um, environmental systems, you know, electric heaters, absorption chillers, heat pumps, all of these things uh, playing together to really deliver the energy needed when it's needed at the level that it's needed as reliably as it's needed mm-hmm. with the business case wrapped around it. And at the same time, uh, being able to interact with the grid in the way that the grid operators um, expect and hope mm-hmm. so that their systems operate reliably and the customers that rely on the grid um, have the quality of power and service that they uh, deserve and pay for. Right. And when you're speaking of um, the products, so I, I like how you name them also. So there's discover, propose, design, operate, and mobility, right? And those are the different products that you offer. But as they're they're not necessarily a whole bundle, depending on where I am in the process of my project, I could utilize those products. Do I have that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Whatever at whatever point you want to interact um, and engage with uh, the energy transition, we have a solution. So if you are a large equipment OEM, and you know, let's say Fran- uh, Francie, you came and said, "Hey, um, from my home or from my office, I want to look at what the options are." You'll probably reach out to uh, an OEM, so that's the technology vendor or their distributor. And what we're solving there is. Uh, we're arming we, we're arming these installers and dealers with a I would say a sophisticated and simplified environment to reduce their um, marketing and sales costs to win more sales with with like for example yourself. But whenever you're dealing with complex systems, you know you're not just selling a solar panel, you're not selling a solution that includes a few things. Uh, dealers and installers typically lack the confidence and skilled people to actually propose and sell these systems. So that's where our proposed solution comes in, that it actually arms these folks with the technology so that they can get rid of their slow manual processes, have confidence to quote accurately and do so in a way that also conveys confidence to you. They see it's okay. These are real rational assumptions based on rational metrics based on a science-based method that is unbiased. And so making sure that you get the best solution for what you need versus what maybe um, a salesperson might just want to try to sell you because it's easy. Mm -hmm. But we feel that reducing the time to proposals and increasing win rates for the folks that you're going to be reaching out with is also going to help you because you're going to come up with actual solutions that are going to give you the benefits that are promised Mm -hmm. versus, um, just you know a hope and a prayer so yeah so that's uh that's kind of step one is Mm -hmm. you know you just want to get a proposal and what we found you know when we started the company was it could take weeks or months for somebody just to get a proposal back Mm -hmm. because they had to go in and you know it's just all these moving parts and pieces you know what does your contract look like your utility bill uh, what are the time of use right. periods? They What's your fuel cost? All, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. All those things. And then uh, and then you might want to make a change at the last minute, right? Mm-hmm. Well, can we throw another EV charger? Then they got to redo it. It's just very, very slow, expensive process. So we got rid of that with Propose. Mm-hmm. And then for uh, wanting to get into a high level of sophistication, kind of that trial ability that I was talking about, you know, the ice cream scoop, you know, let me, mm-hmm. let me take a little spoonful before I commit to the whole scoop. That's where design comes in. So that's where you can get into the, uh, the details, but also you can test drive the system, but you're doing it virtually. Mm-hmm. So you take a virtual test drive, get a high level of understanding and appreciation for what the solution is, what your options are, what it could look like, depending on what your goal is. You know, maybe your, your goal aren't, aren't all financial. Maybe you care about emission reduction. Maybe you care even more about resiliency. You can give it those nuances and see what the solutions could look like. And then we have customers that don't have just one site. To, so there isn't just one Francie. They got a thousand Francies coming to them. Uh, or there's a thousand Francie opportunities. But if you're going to look at them one at a time, even if you're like a super efficient person, let's say it still takes you a couple of days yeah. and you got a thousand of them, what, you're going to spend 2000 days to get back to somebody. So that's where discover comes in. It's a portfolio analysis tool. So you give it all the addresses um, that you have uh, potential opportunities at, and then mm-hmm. it rank orders them for you, tells you what the system should look like mm-hmm. uh, from a high level. Um, so then out of those thousand, you can say, 
these are the top 50 we're going to focus on. And you have a science-based rational understanding of why those are mm -hmm. the top 50 based on the metrics that you care about. Payback period, return on investment, maybe the emission reduction uh, opportunity, the net present value, internal rate of return, all of these kind of business metrics, you can then rank order and rank and stack them and look at that portfolio from an investor's perspective mm -hmm. um, to be able to put that in. And then, as I've mentioned when, uh, at the beginning of, the, uh, of our conversation, the operate solution that actually takes that um, algorithm that came up with a plan and the operational strategy, but then you said, okay, I'll buy the system. Then it goes into the real environment as part of your energy management system and make sure those promises are being delivered as reliably as possible, given the fluctuations and dynamics in the real world. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that overview. Uh, I see how all the moving parts, I mean, you could have a, your, you know, ideal audience is you have a uh, diverse market basically that you're catering to because there are so many different moving pieces when you're trying to really get this uh, infrastructure in place, which takes a long time, as we know, is costly. So however you can catalyze that and pick up the speed is really important here, especially when EV adoption is taking off. Uh, federal incentives, regulations are pushing us this way that if yeah. we're actually going to meet it, we need a lot of different solutions solutions playing in to help that happen because, yeah, utilities exactly. are in a, they're, they're still mm, functioning the way that they've been functioning. And I mean, from the software to the processes and everything and nothing against them, but they're working with uh, a different, a different decade, a different time period in terms of where we're going. Um, in terms of the major takeaways that you've had with this work at Zendi and being the co-founder, CEO, uh, what have you taken away from the work so far that you're going to bring, bring into the future of Zendi? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, when we, uh, when we first started, we weren't even sure if what we were doing was was uh, uh, was really solving uh, the bigger problem, but we we started getting feedback. Um, so we were we we actually received the Edison Gold Award for Human Critical Infrastructure Technology, which was a real nice uh, signal from thank you, a uh, real nice signal from kind of the external uh, view mm -hmm. as to uh, the impact of our work. And then uh, we had the good fortune of being selected as uh, as a platform for the U.S. Department of Defense uh, for their mm -hmm. uh, ambitions around this space. So um, as we've been kind of observing the takeaways, uh, I guess I would put them in three buckets. Uh, you, and you've touched on all of them in, in your questions to me. So I would say on one side, we've been observing how regulation and market adoption are working together. And what we've observed is fleet electrification and market adoption accelerating. And uh, with that, uh, they need viable strategies. Uh, and viable strategies require inherently these um, sophisticated on-site energy systems. And normally, you know, this reg market adoption um, acceleration would be organic. But what we also have is we have the Inflation Reduction Act. We have mm -hmm. bans on internal combustion engines. Mm -hmm. So the timeline is accelerating because every OEM and fleet operator needs to accelerate their electrification. And uh, that's that's one observation mm -hmm. that we, we've uh, been witnessing is um, the market adoption acceleration. The other is the talent time shortage. So when you have these um, accelerators and you need – the, and the market adoption is moving mm -hmm. uh, faster. Um, there's a, in, we've, we've been observing a lack of expertise within some organizations to execute internally. Mm, and um, they have, and especially some new entrants, they have, um, you know, innovations, but they don't have necessarily the time to scale uh, their innovations. And that mm. again is, uh, where I would say uh, an integrated approach uh, really becomes critical. Mm -hmm. And then the other is when, when you're in a rapidly evolving sector, and I'd say this is about as rapidly evolving as I've ever seen Truly. the energy sector, uh, you know, competitive advantage comes from uh, agility and speed to market. And again, uh, 
so how these have been kind of coming into us as we've been observing this, it, you know, why did we go the path that we did with an integrated approach is because we, as we were observing these uh, external landscape events, much of which was outside of our control, but as we're observing them, it just made it crystal clear that an integrated solution is a key growth driver. So if you lack the expertise to execute in, in, internally, if uh, there's a talent shortage, there's a time shortage, and you need agility and you need to have that speed to market, then an integrated software platform like what we decided to develop, we felt would be essential uh, for the folks that are really working to enable the energy transition to meet their aggressive timelines, maximize revenues, and at the same time, minimize the risk, uh, both from an execution perspective and also from an adoption perspective. So um, those kind of three pieces came together into that mental model that we had and continue to have around the opportunity around electrification and transportation, uh, uh, net zero, uh, and then the resiliency needs. But we're, we're just seeing an uh, uh, acceleration mm -hmm. that really plays into an uh, integrated approach being the right way of doing it. So those signals are why, you know, we developed the proposal to why we developed the operate solution for real-time energy management and just didn't stop at design because mm -hmm. there's companies that just do design mm -hmm. and there's companies that just do operations, but we didn't find one that does design and operations together. And we felt that bringing those two together was really critical mm -hmm. to then for, for like someone like yourself to say, you know, I'm going to take money that I could spend one way and now invest it and spend it this way because I have confidence that I'll make um, not only more money, but deliver better value and um, experience to whether it's yourself or to your customers. Definitely. Oh, great takeaways. Um, and it, it really kind of points to, I mean, I think anyone running any successful business should look to the takeaways, but that kind of research mindset that you all have where it's like, let's observe what's going on. You know, if we're proving ourselves wrong, fine, we'll pivot and, and make sure that we're including what we need to to add value. And um, of course, the profitability is a huge part of this if we're going to keep this adoption up. Uh, you know, it can't all necessarily be subsidized. It has to be a, a real yeah. business model that, that works on its own. So I see how this plays in there. And um, it seems like your team is keeping an eye out for how you can expand your offering, how you can pivot with the market and have that agility because like, like we were saying, this is a very rapidly advancing, dramatic place to be a part of. And we're seeing it real time unfold and how we're going to move towards a hopefully more renewable, electric focused world that has uh, can leave a better a better version of tomorrow, hopefully, and just in general embrace, embrace technology and all the benefits that it can bring. So thank you so much for coming on to the Out of Spec podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I think you all have a, an interesting setup going over uh, going on over at Zendi, and I'll be interested to see. I mean, you kind of hinted that if anything comes along, you know, we'll be embracing it in terms of uh, like nuclear energy and stuff. So um, are there any specific plans for that or is it just more of your approach that if, if we need to go there, we will? I mean, we're all in to drive impact and uh, help the energy transition uh, towards clean and renewable energy. And there needs to be a diversity of technologies. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, from hydrogen to small modular nuclear reactors, we're always uh, trying to stay years ahead of right. where the need is today so that when that opportunity does present itself, or maybe it doesn't, and maybe some new technology comes in. But for us to be able to then support the market, support industry, support the end users, the customers, to be able to benefit from that and do it in a way that has the business assurance behind it, the reliability mm -hmm. behind it from a technical uh, perspective. And at the end of the day, uh, make sure that the benefits that you were promised uh, you're getting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you're going to look at deploying anything and doing anything at scale, you have to have flexibility. Mm -hmm. You can't just show up with two things and say, this is going to work everywhere. So, 
<laughs> no, so definitely um, we're always looking at um, we're, we're always excited for new technology and then how we can uh, help those folks that are developing those new technologies, make them available and um, sell them in a compelling way into mm -hmm. the market to then support that acceleration of uh, the transition so that we can, as you said, uh, leave a better tomorrow. And at the end of the day, you know, we feel like we made it, we made some small, um, we played some small role in it and uh, hope to continue playing a role in it as well. Yeah. Is that what motivates your work? Trying to leave a better tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't always think that way, uh, Francie. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, uh, getting my MBA and one of my uh, classes was organizational behavior. Mm. And um I, I wasn't really sure what I would be dealing with or what, uh, what all was entailed. I, it was very different than like taking an econ or finance or marketing course yeah. and like organizational behavior. So as part of that, uh, my professor had me write my eulogy wow. and I can tell you when you write down how you want to be remembered after you've died, um, it really focuses on what you want to do in your life so that you can be remembered that way. Mm. And that's fundamentally what uh, drives me is how, how at the end of the day, I want my wife, my son, my family, my friends to think of me. And hopefully, um, you know, they can say, well, he, he did some good. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's, that's really at the that's end of the day, you know, motivated. what brings that. Yeah. But I, I didn't have that. Mm. clarity of thought and direction until that exercise mm. man so so it was uh it was uh it was, Gotta it, was thank that it was an important it was an important um activity in my kind of selection of the path and direction and how i think i can help yeah it's amazing how those little points you know the seeds can be planted and then totally lead you down a different path in life. And when yeah. there's so much potential out there and this space and just, you know, this industry and uh, any industry EV adjacent, just electricity and energy and what we're doing basically with all of our institutions, infrastructure and society, there is a lot of potential there to go down a path that can really change the way that we do things. So thank yeah. you for coming on and telling me about yourself and about Zindi. I really enjoyed it. Um, of yeah, course, thank you, Francie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. I appreciate your time and your, and your energy here. And um, hopefully if something else comes along for Zindi, we can have you back on to, or any of your team team if they're interested, you know, to speak about um, different different aspects or different news that comes along. So thank you so much. Yeah. And if anyone has any questions in the comments, of course, leave them and we'll try to get some answers from the Zindi team if needed. Awesome. Great. Thank well, you. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. We will see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.